You're listening to the audio program, Host and Guest, hosted by me, Rick Katchke. Now here's myself, Rick Katchke. Yes, welcome to this edition of Host and Guest. I'm your host, Rick Katchke, and on today's show, I am joined by author Luke Geddes, the creator of TV Grime, which is a zine that is a comprehensive, introspective guide to Halloween episodes of TV shows up to 2004. He's also the mastermind behind the imprint Works of Love, and he has his own debut novel, Heart of Junk, which was put out by Simon & Schuster. So, a lot to talk about with Luke, and it was an absolute pleasure to chat with him. So here it is, my discussion with Luke Geddes. All right. Well, Luke Geddes, thank you so much for joining host and guest. A very appropriate day, Halloween day itself. Uh, from what I know about you, that seems to be perhaps your favorite holiday. Am I am I wrong in projecting that? I think that's true. Uh, I mean, I, one thing that might surprise people is like the actual day of Halloween to me is like not really the main thing. Like people think I really like go out all night and, you know, party but to me it's the actual day of halloween is kind of the sad day because it's the it's the end of the halloween season so you know i'm more about the the season of halloween than than putting a lot of weight on the specific day in conjunction with that with halloween you are the creator of tv grime which is an episode guide of all the different halloween episodes of different shows sitcoms dramas that you could basically recall and write a summary and your thoughts off the top of your head. Uh, how did TV grind come to be uh, issue one? I don't really remember how to answer this question because it's such an absurd idea that it, it feels like, why, why did I even do it? And I, you know, I think that makes more sense if you've seen it because it's, you know, it's a lot of text. I, I've never done a word count on it because it would just be kind of depressing to think about how long and how much time and energy I spent it put it uh, I spent on it but um you know to me it was more even though the writing was the hardest part of it which is just like you know spewing out a lot of words about every Halloween episode of a TV show I could think of that aired you know uh before 2004 um to me it was it was I wanted to make it more than I wanted to write it like I wanted to I just had this idea of making this um zine or this product rather than it wasn't something like I felt like I really need to bear my soul although it ended up being a soul bearing thing but um you know I'm interested in you know the world of I guess you know alternative or underground media like you know I read a lot of like comics um independent alternative self-published comics and I don't have those like um you know artistic skills so this is sort of my entry point into that world um, using the skills I do have, which is, I guess, for one, like writing, but even more so the skill of having watched a lot of TV. Um, when it comes to Halloween episodes of shows, do you have a clear favorite or are there are some that like are, are up there for you? Yeah, people are always asking that, especially when I'm, you know, at like a zine fest or something, trying to sell it to them. Um, 
and you know, usually I, I, I have to, you know, the guide is as useful to me as the author as it is to any reader. I usually open it up and flip through it. Um, there are certain episodes just like in a classic TV guide that get like the close-up treatment with like a screenshot and maybe a little bit more um, detail of an examination. Um, not all of those are like among my favorites, but I'd say like most of them are. So of course, like, you know, the ones that usually I usually say if I have to choose favorites um, would be like Adventures of Pete and Pete, Halloweeny. Um, a Nickelodeon show from the the '90s, and then my so-called life um, is a special one to me because it was the first episode of that show I I ever saw, and it was like the only episode I saw for like years and years and years, and it stuck in my mind. And then um, I think the Freaks and Geeks episode as well is is one of my favorites. But um, you know that's that's just a small sampling. It's actually funny. I wasn't even going to bring this up that that you mentioned Pete and Pete because I actually uh, went to college with your brother Dan and lived in the dorms. And he like the first time I met him, he was talking about Pete and Pete. And my friend Emily and I were like, "This guy is so cool!" Like we were intimidated at how cool he was that he knew <laughs> Pete and Pete. So I'm glad that Pete and Pete runs in the family. Oh yeah, I mean, I to me, I think it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of shows that people watch as kids, and I think we tell ourselves, like, oh, it was really great, and you might go back to it, and you might delude yourself into thinking it was good, even when it wasn't, or you might, like, face that, you know what, this was, like, interesting when I was a kid, but it's just some cheap show, but um, I think Adventures of Pete and Pete really transcends it. Um, you know, my wife didn't have cable growing up, which is a big sticking point because she doesn't uh she doesn't have the vast body of knowledge as I do but so she came to Adventures of Pete and Pete a lot later um when it was out on DVD and um I think it still affected her the same way so to me that's sort of proof that it it's a show that that holds up and that um transcends you know mere nostalgia still waiting for that third season to come out on DVD damn it in line with that the I mean the music one of the best aspects of the show as someone who loves this time of year, you even have a song that Polaris did waiting for October. So it's like, it, it feels like it's a, a song just for you, Luke. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's a very um, emotional song for me to hear. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's definitely a, a song that, you know, I listen to, especially, you know, as we move closer to October um it's i mean lyrically i don't i don't know exactly what it's about but lyrically it's it's not it doesn't really seem to be about like you know waiting for like you know good times in october it seems to have like some some subject matter related to like cults and the apocalypse which is interesting not really knowing what the lyrics about is kind of a theme across the board for polaris's songs for that show yeah i mean it's such a, i mean that's such a bizarre thing is that you know it took I remember as kids, like we loved the music in the show, and we like we loved the episode, obviously where Polaris appears, and like doing you know doing research on um, the internet at that time, like learning about the songs. But you couldn't, it's insane, you couldn't get those songs. The only thing you could get was like a, a cassette tape that had a couple songs that was in the cereal box. Cereal box, yeah. And Waiting for October was not one of those songs. It, it wasn't until I think like ninety nine, two thousand that 
they finally like released the CD. But that I mean, that's so bizarre to have a band do like all these songs that exist only on the show. It's kind of maddening at the time. Yeah. No, I I remember anticipating the CD because it came out uh, it, back when CD Now was still like a website before like Amazon was prominent enough. So I got it through CD Now, and I trying to remember what was on that cassette tape because as you described i'm like oh yeah i got it from the cereal box i think it was the the main theme um hey sandy and i think coronado 2 yeah i think there was one more yeah and those are all great songs but the songs i really wanted were like waiting for october and like saturnine and ivy Mm -hmm. boy and none of those were like there were nowhere so yeah i guess i just wanted to talk about pete and pete with you (laughs) I mean, I'm always open to that. Did you have growing up like a subscription to TV Guide? Because TV Grime is a very faithful recreation of of what that magazine is like. Yeah, we our family definitely had um, a subscription to TV Guide. Uh, I feel like you know I wasn't even that. I like read the front articles with like the um, the color glossier pages. I don't remember like being too keen on like the the back matter where it actually had the listings because I just feel like I had the TV schedule like memorized anyway <laughs> that I didn't need it as much. But um, yeah, it was definitely like a fixture in the house, which is, I mean, it's such an ancient kind of idea or artifact nowadays, obviously, with on-demand streaming and everything. But, um, you know, this idea that if you miss something that aired on TV, you might never see it again, right? Or you might never see it at all. No, I mean, you mentioned Freaks and Geeks, and I remember when I got into it, uh, there was like immediately canceled after that. And then there was like a, a summer where they were burning off episodes that they hadn't aired yet. So I just, I I taped those episodes just so I could have some artifacts. Because I had, I had taped the Halloween episode and... A couple others but i didn't have the whole series but just that night taping like the the three episodes and then it was like a storm warning that night so they were interrupting the broadcast i just yeah there was i mean there was i talk about this it comes up a bit in my um tv grind but there was that time in the like early 2000s where it just felt like you know finally because dvd is booming like every show will eventually come out so like these things that haven't aired in decades that you might remember from when you were a kid, they're finally going to come out. Um, and then even like early streaming, like the, you know, when a new streamer was starting, they were kind of desperate for content. They would pull out like, you know, weird one season shows, but you know, that time is like totally over. No, I, there's, there's, you know, every once in a while, there's something that comes out like Moonlighting just came out. It but, just came out of Hulu. Yeah. Um, for the most part, it's like, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a criterion of like old TV shows. Do you have a, a show that you're still waiting for it to resurface, whether on disc or on a streaming service? I, I have a lot of like um, unauthorized like recordings, so I have access to a lot of shows that um, you know aren't never came out on DVD and aren't streaming. You know, just from like weird old guys in basements who post that stuff on online. Um, but you know that a lot of that stuff is not like in super great quality. It might be right. VHS quality. And one, you know, I one that I have, but I would still like to see like officially available is um the the 
NB early two thousands NBC show Ed with um Tom Cavanaugh and the the Michael Ian Black and and whatnot. Yep, and Julie Bowen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there, actually, there's a there's at least one episode of that was written by the um, Pete and Pete creators, uh, Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi. Um, but I remember back in the day that that was like one of the most requested shows on DVD, but it never came out. I think it's a music rights thing with that. I mean, so many of it's a music rights issue, right? Yeah, it all, it almost always is. Yeah. Uh, are, are you a Clem Snide fan? The band that did Moment in the Sun, the theme song from like the second season on, I want to say. Yeah, actually, you know, this is another thing I argue with my wife about. I actually prefer that as the theme. Because the thing that bugs me about the Foo Fighters one is like in the song, he's saying, I'll be coming home next year. But in the opening sequence, he's coming home at that moment. He's not coming home next year. <laughs> you know, I think that's actually what's holding it up. Not the rights, but just how do you make sense of that first season theme song? That's really the main issue for Ed. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, people just can't get past that. It's too confusing. Beyond television, do you have any favorite movies that you watch this time of year? Like I said, it just so happened that we're doing this on Halloween itself. So I thought as somebody who I can tell loves this time of year, I'd love to get some of your favorite Halloween or scary movies. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, my main thing is TV, but definitely, you know, we'll watch horror movies and um, autumnal movies around this time of year. Well, usually starting in like late August. Um, but I, you know, I'm not as much of like a movie guy the way some people are like super like, you know, letterboxed account junkies. Um, there was a movie that came out just last year called Superior. Um, that, that, you know, it's sort of a DePalma, like a low budget De Palma-esque kind of thriller. Um, but it's set during Halloween time and it's about like, um, adult twin sisters. So it has that sort of like sisters vibe too yeah <laughs> um but you know i saw it i saw it described as like uh you know david lynch on a hal hartley budget or something like that you know that and that that that's like really up my alley so that's a movie i feel like um more people should see i haven't seen a lot of people talking about it but i thought it you know to me it's one of my favorite um you know movies from the past few years you are a true author beyond uh, your zines. You've been published by Simon and Schuster, the book Heart of Junk. I am not as well read as I hope to be, but as somebody who is kind of a movie guy, reading this book, it struck me as kind of like like waiting for Guffman meets Robert Altman. Uh, is that a fair interpretation of the work? Yeah, I think something that like the Simon and Schuster publicity people said and something, I think they did compare it to a Christopher Guest movie. Okay. So I didn't rip that off from them, I swear. That was yeah, my own no, interpretation. I, I th- yeah, I think it, I mean, that's definitely a fair, fair point of reference because it has like the, you know, it jumps from character to character. Um, you know, when I look at it now, like I see like, not even necessarily in a positive way, but to me, um, it's like, oh, this is just like a sitcom. This is just like Wings. Not even like a good sitcom, but a sitcom like Wings, but it's in an antique mall, right? I just, you know, it has that, you know, not not to, uh, you know, denigrate, denigrate my own book, but I just see how like, you know, even in my high-minded literary pursuits, there's always that like element of like, you know, sitcom or like TV brain to it. 
you know, even though, you know, I'm, of course, like also, you know, much more intentionally um, thinking about and being influenced by, by literature when I, when I write that stuff. In terms of literary influences, do you have anybody that you'd, you'd cite as a favorite author, writer, anybody that you would say was an influence for the book? Um, for that for that book in particular, um, you know, there's a number of things, but, you know, a big one is a, a novel by Stan, this author, Stanley Elkin. He's not, he has sort of a cult following. He's not um, super widely read nowadays, um, but he has a novel um, titled The Magic Kingdom, and it's about, um, like, a guy who, who I think his um, child has died has been dead for a while uh, of a terminal illness and he like volunteers to take like a big cast of um terminally ill children to disney world right and that sounds like schmaltzy but it's actually like a a really kind of raucous and um dirty uh and humorous book it's not sentimental at all and it, so it has like this these this big cast of characters um you know, causing havoc at uh, Disney World. Okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with the book. And at first I'm like, Boy, Luke, this kind of sounds pretty maudlin. But Yeah. You know, reading the book, just the way you write, I, I can tell that you have that collector's mentality, that collector's approach. Obviously talking just now about Pete and Pete and seeing your collection of vinyl behind you. Do you have uh, anything that you really are uh, a big collector of, something that you seek out? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, and I've gone through different phases, like, obviously, like, you know, records, um, is one thing, and, uh, you know, I like, like, pinback buttons, like, um, you know, promotional pinback buttons from the 50s and 60s and beyond, um, you know, I, I had, like, a pulp paperback phase, so I was buying a lot of, um, you know, like, old noir novels and their early pulp form um so yeah i mean it's just a lot if there's a lot of stuff people come over to our house and you know they have to sort of look through all the junk that's on the walls and on the shelves and stuff and you know I, i'm pleased with my collection i'm proud of my collection but it's also kind of an exhausting thing you know to have to like talk talk about and explain not not in this uh not in this this interview but um in terms of like when people come over or when like a plumber comes over and like, you know, having to explain, you know, what all this stuff is and getting the commentary okay. on it. What, what is like, what do you say? Like a plumber comes over. What is like the most bizarre thing that you have that you need to like justify to them? Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, some of it is just like, some of it's not even stuff that I, I have that much attachment to. It was just like a, a weird purchase. Like we have like, um, it's like a wooden carved Bart Simpson, like a three foot Bart Simpson out on like the the back porch that was just like so stupid looking. I thought like I'll get it. It was stupid. It was stupid looking and cheap. So um there was that. You know that's one thing with like oh you're a big you know Bart Simpson fan or whatever. You know people have a, a lot to say about that. Um, but. Yeah, you know, it's just just that kind of stuff. You know, some kind of like, um, you know, art on the wall. You know, like '60s sort of cheesecake kind of art, where it's like, you know, I'm not actually a pervert. This is just like, uh, you know, kitsch. You know, for, to me, 
So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like people either get it or they don't get it. Like you right. know, some people will come over and, you know, the way they describe it, even if it's not like outright insulting, you can tell it's like, oh, you know, it's like, that's very interesting kind of thing. Do you have like a crown jewel item of your collection? Something that either you spent years tracking down or that you're so proud that you have ownership of? Yeah, this wasn't something I, I was like actively looking for, but um, we have a, um, a it's a, it's huge. It's like, you know, five feet by seven feet or something. It's um it's a mural that used to hang in the moonlight garden garden or something like that um, ballroom of the Coney Island in Cincinnati, Ohio. So not the, you know, famous New York, but in Cincinnati, there's a kind of a rickety old amusement park that's still open. And I guess they were renovating and they, you know, were getting rid of these giant sort of beautiful, you know, maybe like 40s, 50s um, murals of different things in the park. And so we have uh, this giant, mural hanging over our couch you know this one-of-a-kind thing that's like a a big sort of hand-colored photograph of like the lost river ride so it kind of has like a tropical feel to it and that you know that is something where it's just like um i would never imagine i would have something like that because it's one of a kind and um you think it would be like really expensive like thousands of dollars but for some reason like this one did the 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 bids didn't go very high on it so you know i just put in my bid and um i didn't think i was gonna gonna win it um i mean i think that the big the actual cost of it was like the huge like worry and inconvenience of like first going to pick it up and then having to uh, move with it from cincinnati to milwaukee but that you know that's sort of my my crown jewel and i don't think it, it would be hard for anything to top that do you have any recent acquisitions that you're thrilled about? Um, you know, it gets harder and harder the more you have to find something that's really going to um, strike Stand you. out, that's yeah. special, yeah. So, um, I don't, yeah, I don't really have anything too recent. You know, it's sort of been downhill after that. And that's kind of the thing about um, the novel, right? That's something that comes up in the novel is like, there's sort of that early spark of, you know, getting interested in a particular thing or collecting something. And then, you know, after a while, it becomes maybe more just like a pure kind of completist kind of thing. Like, you know, I'll go to record shows or like, you know, flea markets or like um, comic, you know, comic flea markets. And, you know, there's always, um, there's always like these guys where it's like the passion is gone, right? It just, it became more about um, not even like they're making that much money that they're all in it for the money, but it's more like they're in it through inertia where it's like, you know, I have everything I want. Now I just have to keep getting more and more and then selling it because I'm just sort of stuck in this world. No, I, I get that. I'm, I'm somebody where like, you know, there's stuff where I spent literally over a decade trying to track it down and then you do track it down and you're like, oh, well, what now? <laughs> And and I've I've scaled back on my collecting. The for me, are you familiar with the film "Can't Stop the Music"? The Village People musical. You mentioned Kitsch. I'm like, 
you might know what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard I'm of this film? I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it. Okay, starring uh, a young Steve Gutenberg, who in the opening of the film quits his job at a record store and roller skates across New York City for five minutes as the opening credits play. Uh, for any shots of him actually roller skating, he's holding up like either a radio or a, a tape deck to his, his face because it's a stunt double. And they're, they're shooting it like from that side. But they sometimes make a mistake and shoot like a straight on shot. So it's clearly not Steve Gutenberg. And uh, I didn't know this existed, but last year or a year, two years ago, I found out that the Japanese poster of the movie... <laughs> For Can't Stop the Music, instead of featuring Steve Gutenberg on the poster, it's a shot of the stunt double. They're just so like close I, enough. I did track that down. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good find. I bet, like, because there's not, like, maybe a huge fan base for that movie, it probably didn't even cost you very much. No, it, and in the gallery, this gallery in Los Angeles, they did like a 70% off sale. So I got it. I mean, it wasn't like nothing, but it was. It's cheaper than it should have been for, like I said, that it's just, I didn't even know this thing existed. And then you find it and you're like, okay, well, I, I have to get this because if I don't, it's going it, to, it's going to fall in the hands of somebody who doesn't appreciate it. And I think that's part of like what some of the characters in Heart of Junk are <laughs> talking about too. Yeah. And there's also the feeling of like, this could be my last chance to ever get this thing. I think that's the intoxicating thing about it because you know, so much nowadays you can just go online to Amazon and get, you know, whatever is new and whatever is available. So when there are things out there that are not so easy to find like that, you know, that to me is um, the exciting. Thing. Absolutely. Um, now, in addition, kind of in, in line with TV Grime, you have your own, would you call it an imprint, imprint label? What What do you like to refer to Works of Love as? I, I call it an imprint. I don't know if that's like the right word because it's not really like under anything else, but it's what I went with. So, yeah, so it's probably good. What prompted you to create your own imprint? Well, it started. Um, I wanted to release a, a record um, from uh, by this musician, uh, Benjamin Dean Wilson. He had a, his first album come out and it was like, you know, it was one of those rare things, I think, that get rarer as you get older, like when you're a teenager, you discover music and it's like so exciting, like falling in love with the first time you hear this band or, or that album. And then as you get older, it's like, you really have those, like, um, you know, those those moments where it's just like such a transformative thing for you. So it was like the first time in my kind of adult life that I had that, like this new album, like I just couldn't stop uh, listening to this Benjamin Dean Wilson album and I couldn't stop playing it. it was, you know, it had certain points of reference of things that I already liked, but it was sort of like unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And he had a second album, but his um his record label didn't want to put it out. I don't think his first album came uh sold that well. Um, so you know, I was feeling flush with you know I, I had recently sold my novel, so I was like, well, I'll put it out for you. Um, and so I just had to come up with a record label name. Um, to put that out and so I, I named it Works of Love after a novel by um, the author Wright Morris but um, I'm, I'm not very good at being a record label it's really hard to get people to pay for music so my heart is kind of broken about that um, 
you know, if anyone wants this uh, second Benjamin Dean Wilson album from me, I have so many copies, I, I'm known to give them away for free. Um, but, you know, I think that was still like an important thing of, you know, that was sort of the um, impetus of, you know, sort of establishing this thing that's sort of just like my little, my hobby. But I also, you know, like this, um, a more kind of personal, um, intimate, relationship with an audience and a, a readership um, that I get through works of love. So, you know, I think a lot of people who might know me through like the novel or or other stuff might think it's like, ah, like, why would you do this yourself? It's not, you know, the big time, but um, there's something uh, really unique about the connection I made with readers through like the zines and, and stuff like that, that, um, you know, even though, you know, I might get a uh, an email once in a while from someone who like liked the novel I, you know I get kind of more interesting messages and stories from you know people who read TV grime and are like oh yeah I remember that show and then they'll tell me some some weird memory about um, their own you know adolescence or childhood uh, watching TV yeah I I did listen to the smartest person in the room it's it's really different uh, I really liked it a lot um so this was this was his second album you'd heard his his first album first and that was kind of how you you discovered it i was wondering like the logistics of that yeah it was a weird it was a weird sort of random thing where you know it wasn't like spotify recommended me um benjamin's uh first album i found it on ebay because i was searching for like jonathan richmond stuff and i guess like um it had some of the listings like compared it to Jonathan Richmond and it was so cheap that I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. It it really had, a, you know, to me, you know, to me, it's like my, um, it's, it's the thing that has broken my heart the most in my life uh, of like, you know, uh, someone who's interested in culture is that um, this guy, Benjamin Dean Wilson is not like huge and well-known because to me, it just like, aesthetically just like the album art just like it speaks to me and it it seems like it tells you exactly what it is and how it's unique in a certain way and then when you start listening to the music it's like so singular and it's also like it also speaks to me because it's very literary literary yeah. too like it's very um he's very influenced by film but i think also like you know some of these songs are like don cheever stories in musical form um, so it like it really just hit me like so hard um, that I had to get that second album out. But you know, it turns out like I'm so bad at um, being a, a music mogul that like I really didn't I didn't help his career at all. But um, he seems like pretty content to like just keep producing stuff. He's a he's uh, seems to be like a very um, hard worker and an eccentric guy who just like likes to keep churning stuff out. He's also made a, a film, a musical film. Um, so I don't think, I think I'm probably more um, upset and heartbroken about, you know, him not being a huge star than uh, he is. <laughs> and then in addition to that, you you also have, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be honest, Luke, I, <laughs> I have a terrible habit of calling zines, zines. Because uh, it was one of those words that I didn't hear used. I just was reading it. And so like, I literally have to stop myself to remind myself that to say 
zine <laughs> instead of zine you have your special delivery club your your new zine uh and including the latest the latest issue of it is a bit of a sequel to tv grime kind of a, a, a an insert i would say uh Tell us how the special delivery club, tell us, tell me how the special delivery club came to start. Um, I, I pretty much just like stole the idea from, um, other people, you know, a lot of the, a lot of, some of, um, cartoonists I follow have been doing, um, these sort of subscriptions. Like, you know, the first one I got, um, was by Andy Whelan, who has a, a comic in, um, the first issue of TV Grime. Um, but a, a number of cartoonists have been doing it where, you know, it's, you know, you can mail like an 11 by 17 page with one stamp. Um, so, and I found that to be like a very satisfying format to get these things in the mail. And, you know, on one side, there's usually like a comic and the other side is just sort of like various musings and um, things like that. And so I really like that. Um, and I wanted to do it. Uh, myself so the format that I took was it sort of looks like and feels like um, like those old like scholastic book order forms but um, instead of like descriptions of books it's uh, you know just again like various um, stupid musings um, that I have and then you know the latest issue is like the Halloween issue and that is um, you know that's that's a kind of a preview of a follow-up to the Halloween TV grime. So that stuff, so most of that stuff will eventually be reprinted in um, another Halloween issue. Um, but it's taking a little bit longer to do that because, you know, believe it or not, um, there were more episodes that I neglected than I anticipated. So as, as for as comprehensive as the initial um, Halloween issue of TV grime is, there are still, you know, a lot of uh, episodes that I I, I for either forgot or I was I didn't remember, I didn't know about, and you know I think my loyal fans really um, are clamoring for for more of these uh, Halloween episode musings. Um, one of the things in this issue that you do is you you talk about the late '80s writer strike, which prevented uh, a whole year, a whole season of Halloween episodes from taking place. So you kind of just created your own. Halloween episodes. Is there any TV shows that you love that didn't do a Halloween episode where you're like, I wish they had done either a Halloween or a fall themed episode? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's so many. Um, the one I think of now, uh, which was a show that I don't think was great all the way through, but, you know, was certainly um, great for like many seasons is um, the TV show Gilmore Girls had so many like autumnal episodes and I think Thanksgiving episodes, but for some reason they never had a Halloween episode, which, you know, you know, that's less than like, you know, I desperately need one, but it just seemed like really odd that they never bothered with a Halloween episode. You, that's funny because, you know, my wife is a huge Gilmore Girls fan. I've seen the whole series. I like the sh same, same as your feelings about it it's like yeah it had it had a mostly pretty good run and it's it you're right it seems like a show i in your head like a mandela effect you would think that there is uh, a halloween episode but there's not that's really interesting yeah i mean i was also was thinking about how seinfeld never had a halloween episode but um i don't know if 
that's not one that seems like they really needed one. Like those people wouldn't really want to engage in anything related to Halloween. I mean, I think like any show that I like, I I would have liked it to have a Halloween episode. Because I mean, part of and you know, obviously I love Halloween, but the you know, TV grime, the t- impetus for TV grime is like you know, the Halloween episode is sort of a way into like you know, specific time periods in my life of when I watched them or when they aired and also like a way to dig into these obscurities of TV shows that, you know, are totally forgotten, you know, usually for good reason. Um, you know, the Halloween is really just uh, a pretext for for sort of, you know, finding a, a reason to, um, to to write about these things. One of the things I always like to ask uh folks is for favorites so do you have uh, a first of all a favorite film um yeah uh that's a good question i mean i'm not a super um film guy i feel like my you know most of my favorite films are sort of locked from locked in amber from what were my favorite films when i was like 18 or 19 so i haven't really matured that much um as a, a film viewer but um, you know, of course, I love, you know, the films of David Lynch, um, you know, certainly like Mulholland Drive. Uh, but of course, because I'm such a TV guy, my favorite David Lynch thing is Twin Peaks. You know, I'm, yeah, again, I'm not too highbrow with um, movies, but uh, the 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 film uh, Computer Chess by Andrew Bujalski. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but um, have you seen that? I know of his films. I have not seen that one. You know, I think I feel this way about, um, you know, novels as well as movies. It's like, I like I like it when you can't really figure out where they're going or what they're doing. Like, you know, a lot of novels nowadays and certainly a lot of movies, they sort of give you a thesis statement within the first five minutes or the first five pages and you sort of know what it is. Um, and computer chess is not like that. Um, I, I'm also, um, I guess the, the other one I would say as like a recent one I've watched recently that really sort of um, charmed me is the um, Don Sales movie, Baby It's You. You know, it just starts like a teen comedy, but it kind of keeps going like well past the point where most teen comedies would end. And it's a really, um, it's really uh, exciting in that way. You know, you just feel like, why is this still going? So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in things that are um, kind of fluid in their structure, I guess. Now, you mentioned Jonathan Richman earlier. Is he your favorite artist or do you have other? Uh, I would say Jonathan Richman for sure. You know, when I think about like my favorite albums or like favorite musicians, it's sort of like Jonathan Richman is like just a whole other category. So that it's like, you know, outside of, you know, everything Jonathan Richmond has ever done, you know, I also like this and that. So, yeah, I would say that's definitely um, a big one for me. And then uh, you you mentioned uh, Magic Kingdom earlier, but is there a book or an author that that stands as your favorite? Yeah, this is these are always the questions where you're like, I can't, someone needs to ask me this. And then when someone asks you, it's like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, you know, recently I've been uh reading um books by this australian author um gerald murnane um he's kind of an eccentric guy i guess that's kind of that might be like a through line with a lot of um 
artists and writers I, I like is eccentricity. Um, he's pretty old at this point. He's in his 80s, but he's had um, a pretty long career of, of writing these novels, which are often um, thinly veiled autobiography and um, very um, sort of uh, wistful and like hyper nostalgic, but also um, kind of uh, weirdly self-conscious. So, you know, the way I sort of derisively describe his work um, to my friends is like, you know, it's like 200 pages of him describing like the, the way the light shone on a handful of marbles when he was a kid, um, which sounds like really um, tedious, but there's something about, you know, it's so specific and it's so personal, like it really feels like he's not writing for an audience, he's like writing for himself. Um, and he's, he has such an odd mind that I find him very, very funny. Like his, his big thing is about like, um, how little he's experienced in his life, how like he's only seen a few movies, like he has a famous speech where he talks about how he's never worn sunglasses. He's never ridden on an airplane and stuff like that. So he's like very, you know, he's so, um, interested in his own mind that he doesn't have really other interests right so to me it's like you know to me like if I were to flatter myself I would say like TV grime is like if Gerald Murnane watched a lot of TV right it's so insular but because of that it's really specific and it's really an intimate um reading experience Luke uh what's next for you what what do you have going on uh well I, I am um trying to do the Halloween follow-up so that the next um, issue of TV Grime, I don't know when it will come out, but it'll be kind of the sequel to the Halloween issue. And, you know, hopefully not like the disappointing sequel, maybe the, you know, probably nothing will ever top the original, but I think it'll be a nice companion piece or a nice insert. Uh, you know, I'd like to uh, write and finish and publish another novel, um, hopefully to a wide readership and wide acclaim um but you know i'm a pretty slow slow worker it's hard to it's hard to do um a lot at once um i feel like my mind is just you know it's a slower mind than some people some people you know write a no one novel a year um, i'm definitely not that type um but you know the the again you know the tv grime thing that I did, which was such an insane idea. I can't remember like why I felt so compelled to it. Like it's really transformed the way I think about um, my writing process and my creative process where like, you know, I, I you know, I'm just proud of my novel. I'm proud of um, the reach it's had and, you know, people have bought and read it all over the world. Um, but to me, it reads as a, a novel of like someone who really wants to get a novel published. You know, it has a certain structure of sort of giving the reader what they want. And, you know, because I'm interested in writers like Gerald Murnane now, and because I'm, I've done this like weird TV grind thing, like I want my next novel to be um, perhaps even uh, less popularly appealing, but more personal. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Well, in terms of the the challenge of doing a sequel, I hope that issue two is more like the Gremlins 2, the new batch, where it's a great companion piece 
to the original, but they, they each stand on their own. That's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the ideal outcome. Um, I don't know if I can hit hit it as out of the park as they did with Gremlins 2, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm just amazed at how many people have who have bought and read TV Grime. Like, I remember, you know, last year when I finished it and I printed out my initial batch of 30 copies and I was just like, oh, my God, what have I done? I probably won't even sell these 30 copies that I printed out. Um, and, you know, I've, I haven't done a great job counting, but I do think, like, at this point, I've sold, like, around, like, 500 copies, which is not, like, a million copies or anything, but it's a really, to me, it's a huge number for, like, this little personal thing that I printed out at home. Well, I'm a fan. Uh, I am also proud that I was able to pin you as probably somebody who liked Grimlins to the new bitch. Uh, looking forward to the new issue. I've, I'm a member of the Special Delivery Club. Looking forward to the next issue of that. And just looking forward to whatever you do next. Luke, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on Host and Guest. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope uh, I didn't ruin it too much with my technological problems. Thank you so much to Luke for joining me on Host and Guest really was a pleasure to chat with him uh big fan of his work only became aware of it a year ago with the publication of tv grime but i enjoyed that so much i found out all the other stuff he was into and heart of junk when i say that it's like waiting for guffman meets robert altman maybe sprinkle in some drop dead gorgeous that's a huge compliment uh waiting for guffman I don't know how many times my family watched it. We we made our own edit of it without some certain scenes so that it was more appropriate for the whole family. But uh, huge, huge compliment. It's a great book. Check it out. Get it paperback, hardcover. It's on Audible. And you can check out all of Luke's work by going to his website, LukeGettis.com. There's a link there that takes you to the Works of Love store. And join the special delivery club. You'll be like me. Once again, thanks to Luke for joining me on Host and Guest. And thank you to you for listening to this edition of Host and Guest. <laughs>